used cars. And that's because uh, we went from two drivers to five drivers in you know, a few years. And so I sold my car because it was manual uh, transmission. And my kids did not want to learn manual. And so I sold my car, my beloved Mazda 3. Uh, and I got a, um, I bought a, a used car. And I'm looking for one more used car. Uh, it's been an interesting, um, like, just going online, <laughs> looking for cars, and actually driving to meet people who are selling them. It's just been really interesting. Well, this past week, I, um, I went online, Craigslist, and I found an ad. And um, there you go. Um, it was this car. It was 2020 RAV, Toyota RAV4. And it was listed for $5,000. My heart started beating faster. I was like, oh my goodness, I found a deal of lifetime. And this is what he said. The description said, um, in excellent condition, 2020 Toyota RAV4, new oil change a few weeks ago, reason for sale. It was purchased as a gift, and I am no longer with the individual. I would like, I would like it gone by this weekend. I was like, oh my goodness, I'll take this car. And so I text her immediately. Okay, I, I didn't know who it was, he or she, but later I found I text her immediately. Probably, I mean, I, I saw the car within, I want to say, maybe first 15 minutes that was on. So I text her immediately, and this is our text um, chain thread. I say, I've been looking for a car. I'm a serious buyer um, because now I have more drivers in my family. And, you know, I say a few other things, and she responds back. She says, hello, it's not for sale. I write, okay, it says emergency sale. Sorry about that. What happened? But if you're still selling, because I was still hoping, please let me know. Thanks. And she writes back. She goes, okay, no problem. Where does it say emergency sale? And I said, on Craigslist. And then she says, uh, wow, this is not me. Happy April Fool's Day. Uh, and then, you know, I write, I give her a smiley face. Because it was just funny. I was just laughing. And I said, you might be getting many more texts and phone calls soon. And she immediately texted me back. She said, I am, and gave me a frown of face. And then the funny thing is, she actually texted me the following day. And she wrote me and she said, um, if you want to know the context of what took place, here is a TikTok video. She made a TikTok video about this. Um, this, this Craigslist uh, uh, ad, and basically what happened was her best friend actually did a prank on her. She took a picture of her car while she was napping, and she posted that on Craigslist, and she said she's gotten about 200 text messages and 200 phone calls. But she was laughing about it. Her, her best friend was next to her. I mean, they didn't do any dances or anything, but they're just laughing, and um, I just you know, texted her back, and uh, it was funny because I, I uh, saw her. It was, she was a young, young lady, like probably in her 20s. Um, and I said, I enjoy your car. And she said, thanks. Now, I, I share that because, um, I mean, unlike these uh, April Fool's lies, I mean, you know, we, I think at some point we recognize that these are not truth, and, you know, we, we recognize them, and we, we move on. But there are lies, and we've been talking about lies that we believe and lies that we live with. And there are lies that we have believed for a long time. And we live with, we've been living with them for a long time. And whether we recognize them or not, 
they have shaped us. Like they shape how we view ourselves. They shape how we view our life, how we view other people, how we view God. And these lies are subtle. They're not, they're not so clear. And it's really shaped us. And it's been pretty, I mean, for me, as I thought about these things, it's been, it's been really helpful t- for me to think about, okay, what do I really believe? Do I really believe in this lie that my life is my own or that I need to maximize everything about life? I mean, am I living in this way? And once I start to recognize these things, I could then put these things off and allow God's truth to fill my life and fill my mind and fill my heart. The lie that we're going to look at today is the lie that we often feel or we tell ourselves. And the lie is something like, all I do is displease God. For some of us, it's the way we see God or the way we view how God sees us. And God has a frown in His face. He's displeased with us. We live our Christian life under a gray cloud. Like always feeling like we're not measuring up. I thought about why, why is that? Why is that the case? Uh, there here are four things that I thought about. One, some of us might feel like we live our life and we see our life as a, a scale balance, right? We, we have things that we do well, good things. But on the other hand, we, we have things that like mistakes or sins that we commit and we're always trying to balance the scales. So when we do things that are not right, we try to compensate for that by doing things that are good. And so we see our whole life as a scale and we want to try, we're trying to make sure, we're trying to make sure that we have more good things than bad things. So in that way, we're always feeling like God is judging us. We're, we're on this balanced scale. Uh, so others of us might you're just struggling with habitual, like, bad patterns in life. And it's something that maybe started earlier. Maybe it started during the pandemic. But there's this, like, habitual sin or patterns that are not good. And it's, it's just, it appears again and again and again. And we stumble again and again and again. And we just feel like, man, I'm, I'm struggling with the same thing now as I was younger or last year or 10 years ago. And so maybe that's some of us. We're just, we have this tendency to struggle with similar things. Others of us might project our relationship with our parents, how we grew up, to our relationship with God. And so if you grew up with a parent, a father or mother who was harsh, or who was extremely strict, or who was angry all the time, or who was distant, well, that in some sense have shaped how you view God, right? And so one of the things that I thought about is like repentance. When I hear, when I, when I hear the word repentance, it, it, it gives me a very negative uh, connotation, a negative feeling. But in Scripture, actually, repentance and grace are the same, same thing, right? You repent, you let go of things, and you turn to God to receive all that He has for us. But oftentimes we hear repentance and it, it immediately causes us to take a step back because we grew up with a parent who, who was always maybe angry or who dealt with us strictly or harshly. So if that's you, you have this general sense that God is not pleased with you. God is always angry with you. Other, other, one, one last thing might be I think this is true for most of us. As we get older, like we experience more of sin. 
we experience more, more of sin, sinfulness in ourselves and we see it around us. Like as we get older, when we're younger, you know, you, 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 you sin or you do something bad and, you know, I mean, it, it affects you, but, it, you know, you, you're, you're not as easily influenced or affected, but as you get older, you experience more. And you recognize how, like, wow, how deep your sinful heart goes. And a perfect example is the Apostle Paul. Uh, when you read his life, when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, you know, that was early in his ministry, and he called himself the, the least of the apostles. Right? And you move on several years, and when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he, he calls himself the least of the saints. Towards the end of his ministry, in the book of 1 Timothy, he calls himself the worst of sinners. It's not interesting how the Apostle Paul initially thought himself as, okay, I'm a, I'm a bad Christian, you know? But at the end of his life, he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. I mean, how, why does that happen? Well, it's because I think as the Apostle Paul grew in holiness, grew closer to Christ, he also recognized how fallen he was. Because as you get closer to something that's bright, it reveals more of your darkness. And I think that's what happens. And so, I mean, this is, there's a lot of things going on. And all of these things can be true of us. However, even though these, might be, these things might be true, the face of God towards His children is not of displeasure, but of pleasure. We can be struggling with some habitual sins, but God's general disposition for us is God is for us not against us. He's not displeased with us, but He's pleased with us generally. So the, the overarching uh, view that God has of us is, is delight, is pleasure. And I want to talk about that today. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, open to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this passage talks about mainly life before Christ and then life after Christ. And I want to briefly talk about life before Christ and then focus on our life with Christ. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, And you are dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. That's God's word. All right, so 
briefly talk about life before Christ. That's what Paul here talks about. Life before Christ, life after Christ. Uh, life before Christ, in verse 1, he simply says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What does that mean? That means basically Paul is saying you were dead spiritually. What does that look like? Well, think about your physical life, right? How do you know if you're physically alive? Well, you sense things, right? You could see things. You could touch things. You could smell things. You could eat things. I mean, you could taste things. Like, your senses are alive. Your physical senses are alive. And to tell you that you're alive, you see a dead person, they can't sense anything. There's no seeing. There's no touching. There's no speaking. There's no hearing. There's no smelling. That person can't sense any of the physical things. In the same way, spiritually dead person has no spiritual sense. There's no sensation spiritually. So a spiritual dead person can't appreciate the gospel because gospel essentially is about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Another thing that spiritual dead, a spiritually dead person can't do is they can't, there's no spiritual appetite. There's no appetite, even small appetite for God's Word or, or little appetite to like worship or pray. There's, there's none of that because this person is spiritually dead. There's no, uh, there's no hope for eternal life because that's a spiritual blessing that Paul talks about. So a spiritually dead person has no spiritual sensation. There's no spiritual appetite. There's no spiritual longing. There's no spiritual hope. He is simply dead. Um, you could think it this way. We all know that there are different levels of life, right? So plants or trees, they're, they're, they're living, but their life is different than animals' life, right? Like trees can sense light and water, but animals sense more things. They could actually see things, taste things. They can run. Their life is a higher level of life. Well, human beings are on another plane because not only are we alive physically, but we're also moral beings. We're rational. We could think things through. Like we can reflect deeply on a particular topic. Well, the Bible tells us that human beings are not only physically alive, not only morally alive, not only rationally alive, but we are spiritually alive. And when Paul here says, you are spiritually dead, he means that yeah, you had no spiritual appetite, nothing of spiritual. You had no spiritual sensation. But he goes on to say, but God made us alive. Now why? Why does, he, why, why does God do that? Well, it gives us a reason here. Because God was rich in mercy and great in love. Paul said it, our life, our spiritual life, being alive spiritually had nothing to do with us. God made us alive because He was rich in mercy and great in love. And later on, he talks about kindness. Nothing to do with us, but all, everything to do with God. God mercifully reached out and caused us to come alive spiritually. This is the essence of the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 2 is not talking about, oh, you were, you were kind of bad person, but God made you good. Or you were kind of sickly, you're weak, and God made you strong. You are, you're hurting, but God healed you. That's not what Paul says. Paul says you are dead. 
in your trespasses. You're dead spiritually. You had no vitality spiritually. You had no connection with God. But God, in His mercy, because of His love for you, made you alive. That's the essence of the Christian faith. And so it is by grace, through faith, that we are now alive. Can I get an amen there? (laughs) All right. Now, after that, Paul goes on to talk about, here's how our Christian life looks like. And I just want to mention three things. As we think about, is God really pleased with us? Or is He always displeased with us? I hope these, these things will answer. One, notice how all of God's gracious act towards us is in Jesus Christ. I mean, he mentions that, he, he talks about this several times. Like, it's in Christ we were raised. It's in Christ God made us alive. It's in Christ that we're seated in heavenly beings. It's in Christ over and over and over again. Not just in Ephesians chapter 2, but Ephesians chapter 1. And actually, throughout the, the letters that Paul writes, he often says, all the things that we've, we are experiencing, all the blessings that we have, it's done in Christ. In Christ. All the languages that Paul uses is we are hidden in Christ or we are uh, covered in His righteousness or we stand on His work. I mean, we're, we're united with Christ. And friends, that's in all the sort of the theological uh, um, thoughts, uh, education, I feel like that's perhaps the most essential thing that we need to grasp, that we are in Christ. From the very beginning to the very end, all of our salvation is done in Christ. We are united with Him. That's why um, our salvation, our standing, our status, is, it can't be shaken. Because it's like our status is in We're not saved alone. We're not saved. God doesn't save us and kind of say, okay, go ahead and live your life. No, He saves us by attaching ourselves to Christ. It's in our faith in Him that we're saved. Let me give you an example. Uh, our side yard has a, uh, has a fence or a fence that goes from like our yard to our neighbors and it goes on and it divides our house, our yard from the main street. Uh, it's a rolling road. Okay? And so, but the fence, I want to say it's about, oh gosh, about 10, 10 feet tall. Uh, it's a pretty high fence, but it's an old, like, it's old. And so about five years ago, uh, when we had a storm come, I want to say about five portions of, five, you know, sections of uh, this long fence fell. And so we had to get that fixed. So now our fence, when you look at it, there's a section that's like really sturdy. It's new. Like, it's stable. You can't really move it. But there are other sections that are like wobbly. <laughs> and it's about, I feel like it's about to fall all the time. Well, this, uh, I noticed um, that there's one, one section that's like pretty close to falling. It's like shaking back and forth. And, you know, we had uh, pretty windy storms recently, and it just kind of went back and forth. And I was like, okay, oh, man, it's, it's going to happen. So what I did this past week is um, I got a metal uh, bracket, and that basically attached the old fence to the new fence. Yeah, I mean, it, was a, it was a small bracket, but I, I drilled holes and I attached the old one to a new one. And, um, and it made it stable. Uh, I don't know if that's the best picture, but the point is, 
Um, God can't be displeased us with us all the time because we are united with Christ. When God sees us, He sees us in Christ. That's why our status, our position, is guaranteed 100%. Because it's not up to us. We are united with our Lord Jesus Christ. When God sees us, He sees Him. That's um, that's the beauty of the gospel, that we are attached to this, this, this Christ who saved us, the Lord of glory. We're united with Him. So you know these verses, Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall then separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers or things in present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, nothing can separate us from God because we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Whoever said that, amen. So that's number one. It's a beautiful thing. The more you reflect on it, it, it will shape how you view God and how you uh, hold on to the gospel. So that's just a really short thing, but we are in Christ, period. Second, notice that these verses, notice how God's saving actions here in Christ are done or it's in past tense. So look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. That's a past tense. Right? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Again, past tense. Verse 6. And raised us up. Past tense already been done with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. It's already done. It's in the past tense. It's already done. Now, the question here is, Paul says, God has, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's already done. Now, the question then is, how is that possible? Because we're here. <laughs> like, we're here now. Are we physically, like, with Christ, seated in heavenly places? I mean, the answer is no. Like, we're living here now. So what, what is Paul talking about? Well, he has to mean then, positionally or legally we're in Christ in heavenly places. We are in Christ uh, in heavenly places legally, meaning God sees us as one who is already risen with Christ. Um, there's a lady in my small group who um, just got into med school, uh, I think a few months ago. Uh, she was so happy. She's already in. Now, she still has to, she says she has to kind of clean her apartment here, pack. She needs to move to a new city and find a new apartment. She needs to still do that. She, she still has to do a lot of things. But she's already in. See, positionally, past tense, we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's done. Now, we still have to do a lot of things here but it's already done, already accomplished. It's a past tense. 
It's done. Give you another example. Um, car situation, okay? So <laughs> about a month ago, I actually bought a car, and I think I, I share that with you. Really, it's very interesting because I found a guy who lived in D.C. I took the metro in, and I met him there, and he's a nice guy. Um, and uh, it was funny because here's the car, right? I mean, it's, it, he said it's his mother's car. She got sick, so, you know, she's selling it. I got there, got to meet him. And within, like, like 15 minutes, I, you know, I drove it around the block, tested different things. I said, you know what, I'll, I'll take it. He has a, a title, car title. He, he writes his name, and then I sign. And then once I do that and give him the payment, like, it's my car. It's like weird because it doesn't seem like a, it doesn't seem like my car. I mean, it's someone else. Someone else drove it for a long time. So even when I sat inside the car, it didn't feel like it was my car. But the title said it was mine. So if something happened, like I'm responsible. That one act of signing my name on that line, it, this this not belongs to me. It was, it's my, it was my car, but it took a long time for me to feel like it was my car. Actually, it still feels a little bit awkward. I'm like, man, it feels weird. Um, sometimes I think that's how Christian life works. Positionally, legally, we are in Christ. We have been raised with Him in heavenly places. It's done. But experientially, we still live here. And it takes us a long time to feel like and live out our position with Christ. You know how we make, you know how I make this car feel more like mine? I need to keep driving it. I need to make it messy with my stuff. I need to make the, you know, the car smell like me. It's probably not a good thing, but it has to be mine, right? More I drive it, I'm going to feel that. That's how Christian life works. More you lean into your position in Christ, more you will experience God, what God has for you. The language that the Apostle Paul uses is things like work out your salvation or press on towards what Christ has accomplished for you or hold on to what Christ has, what Christ has already taken hold of. It's, it's already done, but the, but the Scripture tells us we need to press in. And so, and that's where we get into trouble feeling like, man, God is displeased with me because our pressing in is hard. But that doesn't mean that our position is any different. We have been raised with Him in heavenly places. That's what Paul says. Positionally, legally, that's who we are. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. Now, we have to do things here and now, but again, God sees us. We're already, we're already positionally in heavenly places. That's why Scripture calls you saints. You're people who are set apart. You're already in Christ. Right, lastly, just really briefly here, in verse 10 he says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, this third thing is recognize that we are His workmanship. The workmanship, that, that Greek word is poema, which we get our word poem. So what Paul's saying is you are God's masterpiece. You are His work of art. And what's most significant about any, any art 
you know, whether it's a painting or sculpture or drawing, whatever it is, it reflects the artist, right? So we have in our home some of paintings that our kids did when they were little, like they were five years old. So the painting itself looks, you know, like childish. It's, and so when pe- we have people visit us, uh, once in a while they will say, why do you guys have that picture up? It just it doesn't look maybe aesthetically pleasing, but it's important to us because it, as we, when I look at it, it reminds me of my kids when they were little, like how they saw our family and how they expressed themselves. And that's what artwork does. It reveals a little bit of the artist, the, the creator. And so here's what Scripture is saying. You are God's masterpiece. He uniquely has imprinted His, his beauty in you. Like, now you're not done. Right? God is working. You are His workmanship. He's creating you. But it, you, your life, who you are, reflects your Creator. And here's what's amazing thing about God. God can use our mistakes. God can use our circumstances that are difficult. God could use um, good things, bad things. God could use all of, all of life, everything that's happening to us, through us, in us, around us, to shape you. Like anything and everything can become his chisel, his hammer, his brush. He's shaping you. And one day, you'll become a finished product. You will actually, experientially, be with Christ in heavenly places. You will be glorified. That's who you are. And so friends, when we think about how we view ourselves and our relationship with God, and we often feel like, man, all I do is fail God, or God God must be displeased with me all the time. Um. Speak the truth of the gospel to yourself. Uh, That's impossible, not because of who you are and how good you are, but that's impossible because of Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we never sin, you know, that we need to repent and we need to ask for God's forgiveness. But what's, what's buttressing all that, what's undergirding all of that is God's love, his kindness towards you. Let me uh, read this from C.S. Lewis, and then we'll close. And he's talking about how we really become ourselves. It's not by trying to find like, meaning in life for us. This is what he says. He says, the more we get what we call ourselves out of the way and let Christ, let Him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in Him. It is no good trying to be myself, be myself without Him. The more I resist Him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. I am not in my natural state nearly so much of a person as I like to believe. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to Him, His personality, I first begin to have a real personality of myself. I finally begin to know who I am because God has created us in Him.
Let's, let's pray, uh, and we'll close our time.